Welcome to the Do Divorce Right podcast. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and I'm here to help you transition through your divorce with ease and integrity, to not only survive the challenges of your divorce, but to thrive as you come out the other side of it with a much better life than you ever hoped possible. On this show, we talk about many different aspects of divorce, interview women who have their own incredible divorce stories, or those who can offer some great advice as you go through yours. The focus here is to help you find the strength and support to help you feel lighter, happier, more positive, and in a better frame of mind to face the inevitable challenges of your current journey. Before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to give a little bit of an intro about Danny and how we kind of came together. Danielle Zetzer is the principal lawyer of her own boutique law firm called Respect Legal. They have offices in Melbourne and in Sydney in Australia. And Danny and I found each other um, over Instagram, I think. We were really appreciating what the other was doing in that space. And we decided it was time to meet. Um, so we got on a call to discuss, you know, who are you and what are you doing? And is there an opportunity for us to collaborate de- together? And and I just, you know, when you meet someone and they're just your people, Danny was definitely that for me. Um, what I love about what she's doing is we both have this intention to help people stay out of the family court system as much as possible, to hold people accountable for their behaviours and, you know, guide them with as much compassion as possible to be able to navigate divorce. Now, in addition to that, of course, Danny's in, in as a family lawyer, she's really taking people through that journey. Not only is she providing fabulous advice to families to be able to get to that outcome but she's also really working very hard to try and change the system itself and have a positive impact on the system so I'm a big fan I can't wait for you to hear this episode because she really exposes and shares generously her experience of going through a divorce herself and she's really allows me to ask some fairly personal questions but before we go into it could I please ask you to rate and subscribe this podcast if you've been listening for a little while perhaps you've got me on subscribe maybe you don't please do please give us some um, ratings as well so it makes it just so much easier for other people to find us so share rate subscribe and enjoy this episode thanks Danny, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to share your story with us. Um, good to I, yeah, it's so good to have you here. I love that we get to talk about um, how does a family lawyer go through divorce? Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because um, your whole intention is to work with families in order to make you know the lowest conflict possible to make sure that they can have you know, an amicable co-parenting relationship, all of that. And then now you've had to navigate it yourself. What, I'm going to ask you lots of questions and I know that you're going to be super honest with us. Um, But to start with, what kind of pressure did you feel to get it right, given your work? Well, I mean, it's it's what I'm all about, which is amicable separations, keeping families out of court, de-escalating conflict, and so there was a lot of pressure in terms of, okay, well, there's an opportunity here to role model that. Yeah. Um, 
And that came with a lot of pressure as, you know, an expert in family law to get it right. And, of course, I still made all the mistakes. Did you? No doubt. Absolutely. What would your ex-husband say about that? Would he say it was was quite intimidating going up against you or not even going up against you but working with you to separate? Yeah, I think he would say that it was intimidating in terms of the knowledge that I have and, um, like, he, he always says I'm quite the wordsmith. Yeah. I think that he trusted that I came from a place of like just a full heart um, and that there was enough love there that I wasn't trying to, you know, take advantage of him in any way. So I think that he he would say that we both still really acted out of integrity, but there was a lot of old wounds that came up. And so the way that I behaved, I'm not always proud of. And it really made me understand my clients on a whole new level. I bet it did. And let's talk about the, the context then of you've got children. How yeah. old are your children? Or how long have you been separated? Let's We've been separated 18 months. We've got 14, 11 and 10. So it's very busy. Yeah. Uh, and our kids have special needs and it's just, it's really full on. And uh, we're doing 50-50 in terms of their care arrangements, which requires a lot of communication. Um, to really be on the same page. And so it's it's not always easy. And so even this past week, we've had a little bit of a tricky moment. Okay. And share about that? Do you want to tell yeah, us? Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, my ex, he just dropped the ball with one of the kids' appointments, which was no big deal. But because I, I um, you know, tend to control things in terms of the thought load, and then, and then I get disappointed when it's not at my standards. And that's something that I've really had to work on. I have very high standards and that makes it sometimes difficult for the people in my life, right? Yeah. And so um, my ex was, he, he was hurt by the harshness of how I responded to that mistake. Did your and child all- get affected or as affected as you were? Um, so really in the end, we just, you know, made a new appointment. It was no big deal. Right. But the harshness of how I responded led to, um, my ex needing to put a boundary in place to protect himself, which is totally reasonable. And I think boundaries are really important, but I come from a place with a traumatic childhood that boundaries for me are really difficult. I, I, I find them difficult to put in place, but I also find them difficult to accept And when he put that boundary in place, which was totally reasonable, I go into my fear of abandonment. um, And that really, um, really shakes me to my core um, in a disproportionate way. And does your ex know that about you? Can I use his name? Yeah, Yeah, Craig. Yeah, of course. So Craig knows about you and he can anticipate that. Yes, but I think that, you know, um, he was taking care of himself and licking his own wounds. And so we can't always expect that we can hold space for the other person's wounds when we're dealing with our own. And nor should we be expected to. If you've gone, right. you know, if you've split up now, then he deserves space to deal with his right. own and find his That's own right. coping mechanisms that don't right. include you. And That's right. Yeah. So then when he when he had done that and he had resolved it within himself and he tried to repair, I was like, hang on, 
you've just abandoned me for the last 48 hours. I don't want to repair. Yeah. And I was quite reactive. And so then I took the day to really reflect on my own behavior and my reactiveness. And then we were able to repair fully and apologize to one another and really reflect on, okay, we've done this again. We've played this game before and let's get back on the same page and support one another and our babies. Oh, my gosh. That is phenomenal. Tell me it's taken you a long time to get to that point or... Absolutely. Like I'm I'm always the person that's doing deep inner work, but it doesn't mean that it's still, you don't, those traumas, they never go away. The work never ends. And so it's about accepting that and not being judgmental of yourself when they still come up, you know, it's, it's always going to come up, but it's about in the repair. That's, that's everything to me now is okay. These things are going to happen. But how how do we repair? And the importance recognition of itself is really important. I think like, to people listening who think, God, it takes me more than a day. Yeah, it does because it's a lot of work yeah. to just acknowledge that you've reacted to something rather than acted on something. And if you're in a reactionary mode, we do need to be acknowledging that. You know, it can take a little while to go. Oh, yeah, right. I've got to own that actually. And it can take a few days before you can come back to the other person and say, I didn't behave the best version of myself just there and and I'm sorry about that. But also I don't appreciate what you did that triggered that in me, you know, and, and finding that bridge to a conversation. About it's- taking responsibility because that word trigger I think is used too often. Okay. I, and I speak to my kids every day about this. I said no one can make you feel anything. And I really... And I and I know that's controversial. No, it's. I think it's about reactivity, though. I think you're right. The trigger word is probably too frequently. It's very, it's very common now. But the idea I think is narcissism is too commonly used. Can we just erase these words and find better? The word narcissist. We go through trends, right? So I think in the '90s it was all about ego. Oh, that guy's got a huge ego. We talk about that all the time. Now we talk about narcissism narcissism which actually requires a diagnosis and nine nine criteria so a lot of people i see definitely have narcissistic traits doesn't mean that they qualify for a diagnosis right they can have narcissistic traits at a point in time that's right and then evolve right out of them again um you're right and so now we're in tell me more about your objection to the word trigger and the way you talk to your children about it Um, I think it's really easy when you go into that reaction mode to blame the other person for having triggered you. Yes, true. So what that does is that takes away your power. Yeah. You're saying this person has the power to make me feel this way and to react. And when when you go into that victim mentality, you lose your power. Absolutely. We have control over that. And so it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It still happens with me, right? But then it's about, hang on, take a breath. What did I bring to the table in this moment? How can I take personal responsibility for that? Recognize that, express it to the other person. And that's sometimes all it takes to repair is that recognition, like you said. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, and Craig was like, thank you. I needed to hear that. That helps me a lot. Um, and then we move forward. Tell me about 
And so you've been apart now for 18 months. You're communicating like mofos in order to manage a very busy home. And you've obviously done a heck of a lot of work together and apart to be able to get to that point. Tell me about the really, really sensitive, tough stuff when the marriage is falling apart and you don't yet know what that's going to look like. Because that's when we are at our most vulnerable and most likely to behave in ways that are not with integrity. Can you share a little bit of that part of your story? Yeah, I think um, every separation that I see, and I've seen thousands now, there's always someone that's a little bit ahead of the curveball in terms of coming to the decision and planning in terms of projecting into the future and what it might look like. Um, And so with us, I may have been a little bit ahead, but not really. And so in terms of the logistics, I just go into action mode. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, soothe my discomfort by making all these plans Mm -hmm. and taking over you know so I went and bought another home um you know went and just like just kept on so relatable yeah just in your own bite and then I can I can soothe myself by making all these plans and everything's going to be okay because I've planned it all and um in hindsight I really um, took away Craig's power by doing that, and I'm not proud of that. Um, and I think um, now in the 18 months, he's really been able to step into his own power and lead his own life without me always controlling in that way, which has always come out of love. Yeah. But it doesn't feel that way when you're on the other side of it. <laughs> it feels overwhelming. It feels emasculating. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that you just mentioned about control as as almost a protection mechanism for yourself, so making all those decisions, but also control as a, um, well, I I forgot where I was going to go with that, but as a way of how it affects the other person. So the fact that Craig was emasculated by you making these decisions and, and trying to soothe yourself by taking control. We spoke about ego, narcissism, triggering. Don't you think control freak is another just ugly label that nobody needs? It doesn't serve any positive purpose. Well, what, what I find is, what I have found is that this is really the issue, um, this, this generation, is that women are carrying a huge mental load and they're becoming more and more controlling because they're trying to make it all work, right? So we were taught that we can have everything. Yeah. We can have a full-time career. Mm-hmm. You know, we can have the kids. We can have it all. But in order to make that work, it requires so much scheduling, so much thought load, and it just gets really overwhelming. And because we're not able to express our needs and because we go into that masculine energy of do, 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 and it's hard to be vulnerable. Very. If you're expected to achieve all of these things and you're expected to be do, do, doing. Yeah. It's very right. We expect it of ourselves more than anything. And, so, and then we start resenting our partner for not reading our mind. Um, and I think that is, that is the main reason for divorce in this generation. Um, People are blaming COVID and things like that, but I really think it's this dynamic that we've created of taking on too much as women and then being resentful when our partners can't read our mind. Yeah, yeah, and can't meet our needs because we ourselves are struggling to articulate what they are 
because we are in this masculine energy of just getting shit done. Um, yeah, it's, it's really clever to, sorry, go on. To take it even further, yeah, I think we've become ashamed of our feminine emotion and the natural being of being in our feminine energy, which is to express emotion, to be moody, to be up and down, and to rely on the man to be a safe container for those emotions. And so when we're trying to do, do, do and achieve, 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 we squash down all that emotion um, and it's not healthy. I also think it becomes very hard because you create a pattern then of being somebody who is so capable. It's hard for the other person to find their way when you're not in that space, when you do to be vulnerable. So maybe they can't meet your needs because they're unrehearsed at it. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think... I'd love to go, I think there's a nice bridge here from this, the challenges in relationship dynamics now and to who Craig has become in his new relationship that he couldn't be for you. Yeah, so we're, we're both dating and and it's really beautiful to see that he's able to lead and make plans and do beautiful things that towards the end of our relationship he wasn't able to do. So, like, we had a great love story, like we really did. And we had that, you know, we met when I was 16 and we had all those beautiful moments together. And I wouldn't, there's no one else on the planet that I would have wanted to have my kids with. It was just very lucky. And now to see him evolve and be able to, you know, be that person and take the lead and do the things that he wasn't able to do at, at the end of our relationship, it's, it hurts sometimes, I'll be honest, like, you know, and there's been moments where he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going and we're doing this. And I'm like, oh, that would have been really nice if we had done that together. <laughs> um, but I've got to take ownership of that. If I hadn't taken over in terms of that mental load, um, you know, it's a it's a dance. And um, we've both really acknowledged that and doing a lot of like really hard inner work to acknowledge that and take ownership of what we brought to it. Um, and now we're really flourishing individually, but we're also still a family. Yeah. I want to ask you about Craig's inner work. Was mm. that something that he was on a journey there anyway, or was that something that you wanted to bring him along? Because because not everybody's open to doing their own inner work. Not everybody's open to that invitation of reflection and understanding ourselves and what baggage we're bringing in. So was that something Craig was always good at? I've got to be careful with speaking for him. But sure. in terms of, I think it's a, a very common problem um, in relationships that we grow at different speeds. And often it's a woman who's really committed all of a sudden at some point in their life to growth. Yeah. And the last 10 years for me has really been about growth. And I think now I'm moving into more contribution is like my my focus now. But um, I think really the end of the marriage was a real catalyst um, for Craig to really shift into doing the inner work and that growth work. It wasn't necessarily that um, we were doing that together in the relationship. But that's, you know, something good that's come out of, you know, a difficult situation. Um, but I see it even now, you know, I, that I've been dating 18 months, 
that's something that I often feel like, I often worry, am I too much? Because I really am committed to growth and progress and contribution. That you're too much. Not that we need to make this a therapy session. No, No, I think it's a really, it's a thing that I hear of from a lot of my friends who are dating that um, you want someone to be able to meet you where you're at. And that's not always possible, right? So we have different values in life. And it's not, you're not going to meet someone that's as committed to growth as you are all the time. And you've got to really question, is that okay? Does that work? Um, And it's, yeah, it's something that I think about a lot. Okay, that's interesting. I think that's true, not just of growth, but of any of our values, right? Can somebody meet me where I'm at? This being such a high priority for me, it might be that the other person doesn't want to be involved in parenting yours, your, you know, being part of a blended family. Can I be okay with that? So it's certainly a compromise on on all kinds of different levels. I think that's really interesting what you're saying about growth. Let's talk about your dating then. So you've been dating for about 18 months. Tell me, let's let's think about it first of us as an advice to listeners. possibly know when she's ready to date look I've started dating expert or anything but from your personal opinion what do you think I I definitely started dating before I was ready okay I don't regret that because it was really just experimenting and you lose yourself when you become a mum and you're so committed to your motherhood and being a wife that the interview process of the dating really teaches you to articulate who you are. And I loved that. I loved experimenting with that and really starting to understand and the dating profiles. I actually really enjoyed it. And I had a really good experience. And, you know, I'm dating someone now and he's lovely. Um, But on my journey with all the apps and everything like that, I learned so much about myself, about other people. And I met beautiful people. Now, the thing is with being a family lawyer, as soon as you say that, most men that you're dating when you're 40 have been through a separation, right? So it brought all the red flags to a head really quickly (laughs) because if they saw the date as an opportunity to get, you know, free legal advice. Did that happen? Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> some some did go on to be clients, which, you know, that's fine. But uh, And then how they speak about their ex-partner is really telling. Oh. And I really, I really actively listened to that because in those first dating period, that, you know, that admiration kind of period, that puppy love period, you dismiss those red flags. And that's another word that's used too much, but I'm going to go with it, right? <laughs> so, And I think you've really got to understand that if someone is talking about their ex in a disrespectful way, that's how they're going to talk about you one day, potentially. Mm-hmm. So to me, that was unacceptable. I didn't want to hear that. Well, they haven't taken enough responsibility right. for their own behaviours to get to that point. And acknowledge that yeah somebody's lack of integrity or or behavior that's not ideal again can be a phase it doesn't mean it's an identity right and so like the the early months was really just about casual kind of I'd only been with Craig from 16 to 38 so it really was about exploring my sexuality 
and really um, just getting back in touch with me as a woman rather than a mom, a business owner, a lawyer, a wife, just what do I want as a woman? Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I don't have any regrets. It was like an interesting experience and I definitely went all out and threw myself into it and um, because I have no filter, shared it with everyone around my life and I loved coming on the journey. (laughs) Um, How did Craig, like did Craig know that you were dating at the time? You were both. So, well, we um, swiped on one another on Bumble and then screenshotted it to one another and sent it like, ha, ha. And then he called me straight away. He was like, that was fucking hilarious. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And um, so we knew that it's um, if we shared too much with one another, one of us would get uncomfortable. So we've really tried to pull back on that. Um, And I don't think that's healthy um, in terms of, well, not at the 18-month stage. Maybe further down the track it would be more comfortable to discuss things like that, but it, was, it wasn't it was comfortable for us um, and respecting that. Yeah, I think there's there's going to be levels of comfort, right? There's, there's things we don't need to share with That's our right. ex-husbands um, or our parents, right? <laughs> there's, there's things we don't need to share. Um, well, my parents are very different and they love the gory detail. Oh they separated when I was seven and um, this actually these last 18 months have been very bonding for them because wow. they'll actually call one another and be like, did you hear what she did last night? Oh, my God. Because they see themselves in your behaviour or because they're no, just, excited about your journey? Yeah, I think they're just very supportive and um, and just want to be there, good or bad, which is so nice um that's really lovely yeah yeah um let me ask about the dating thing so because Craig has a partner you have a partner and you have three children so have you introduced the children to your partners yeah we both have um and so what we did was we gave each other the opportunity to meet the new partner before they were introduced to the children and I think that and um Craig and my partner they had um, a moment. They met without me there, just on their own, and um, it was really beautiful. And they gave each other that support, and um, brilliant. And that was a nice moment. And of course, it's tricky, right? But um, I'm in a fortunate position that I don't need any help with taking care of my kids. So it's not about like I'm not an overwhelmed mum that's looking for someone to share that load with me. Um, about I really get to choose well how do we want to do this well let's have some nice moments with all the kids together but also we don't need to do that all the time and how did your kids cope then meeting what do you call them boyfriends partners like yeah well my little one really struggled with meeting my boyfriend because that seemed to her really disloyal to dad Mm. and she's a real daddy's girl and she's 10 so at 10 developmentally, that's really appropriate. Yeah. But um, she's met daddy's girlfriend or? Yes, yes, um, which was not as difficult for her. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And, um, and the 14 and 11-year-old have just, they've done really well and just excited by someone else spoiling them and giving them attention, you know. So, so it just depends, depends yeah. on the kid, but definitely my 10-year-old has been more sensitive to it and I've had to be, 
uh, mindful of that, but also she needs to understand that I'm the adult and I make those decisions and that she doesn't get to control the family dynamic. And that's really important because kids need those boundaries. They don't need us to be their friend. They need us to give up, to give them those, you know, boundaries and, um, and discipline to a certain extent. Yeah. Right. We can be respectful without letting them rule the home. Acknowledge the feelings, give them an opportunity to express those feelings and also a way to soothe themselves without the, the whole family life revolving around it. Can I ask you a little bit about the neurodiversity and how you think that might affect the blended family situation and the co-parenting situation that makes that a little bit more, a little yeah. bit too. So really, I mean, my my whole family is neurodivergent, including me, including Craig, and we're really proud of it. Um, mm-hmm. But it does mean that you have to be more patient in terms of how different family members process new experiences. And so it's about learning that patience and um, and really understanding and leaning into everyone's special requirements. Do you think because you and Craig are neurodivergent yourselves, it makes you more empathetic or do you think that makes it harder because it's hard for me to know? Definitely makes us more empathetic. And, you know, and Craig is like the most beautiful teacher, especially with neurodivergent students because he can relate. And I've definitely seen that in my law practice that I definitely have a lot of clients that come to me who are neurodivergent or have kids who are neurodivergent. And I think that I really do understand the complexities of that in a way that a neurotypical person wouldn't. Yeah, that's beautiful. Danny, what advice would you give for people then? um, Let's say I'm thinking about when you're just beginning the separation, you have behaved in ways that you're not very proud of. You mentioned there were some moments that you know, maybe it was the buying the house and making big decisions and taking some control in that way because it was soothing to you, but that you're not proud of now. What advice would you give in helping people find that bridge to repair from, oh gosh, I wasn't the best version of myself, but it's really important to me that we co-parent well. We need to get to, you know, a really amicable position. How, based on your experience, how would you help? But I also see this in my work every day. And I really push my clients out of their comfort zone. So sometimes we get stuck in a letter war. You know how lawyers do that? It's been going on for months and we're about to issue court proceedings because no one's getting anywhere. And I will suggest, please go invite your ex for a coffee and try and break through because this is a total waste of your time and money. It's going to delay your healing. Try and just break through. And I think the way to break through is twofold, that personal responsibility of, yeah, I fucked up. And on the other side, just a bit of compassion, just that little bit of compassion, like that that would have really hurt. That can be all it takes. And, you know, and I had a client do that a couple of months ago that she went and said, let's meet for coffee. And she And she used those words, that would have really hurt when I did that. I can see that now. And they both just burst out into tears and were able to make a really meaningful process, progress, cut out the lawyers, and we wrapped the whole thing up within two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it sometimes feels easy to hide behind lawyers, you know, um, and I often get people come to me and say, can you be the bulldog that I need you to be? And the answer is yes. You know, if I've got little kids at risk, 
I will go to court and I will be that bulldog. But is that really what you're after? Or is that just a way to avoid facing the hard work, which is that inner work? And so when we hide behind lawyers, when we go through court for two or three years, all we're doing is delaying that work. But we eventually have to meet ourselves and face the darkness. And and look, it's hard and I don't judge anyone I don't judge anyone, but there's no easy road. Eventually, you're going to have to face it. And you get to choose. Especially if you want to go on and build a beautiful life for yourself. There's no there's no point in wasting your life being a bitter, sad person who hasn't, you know, grieved and moved on. So absolutely. The work and that's fair. I do cross over, you know, and push the boundaries in terms of, okay, people are paying me for legal advice, but I will push them to really consider the other side and play devil's advocate sometimes. And it's only because I really, truly want the best for them. Yeah. So if we're fighting about, you know, should Christmas time start at 11 or 12, I'm like, what's really going on here under the surface? Let's unpack that. And then I've got a beautiful village of people around me, including you, that can help my clients in a way that it's not appropriate for me to, to do that work so that the legal stuff just becomes effortless. And purposeful, right, intentional, because the last thing you need is to be sitting with a lawyer, spending lots of money and actually not getting anywhere. So you want to be smart. So let's get out of the past and he said, she said what happened and let's start dreaming about the future. And that's really hard for people who are in the thick of it. When you're in the eye of the storm, to even be able to project a couple of years ahead. So sometimes I start small is like just start imagining, you know, what your bedroom would look like on your own. Exactly. One of my clients um, made her bedroom like this pink throne of like just it's all pink and fluffy and beautiful and she's like that's what kept me going is just imagining my my little sanctuary of pink fluffiness <laughs> so nice isn't it just that idea of well I don't have to compromise so you could look at it like oh shivers well she you know I've got this big blank canvas and I don't know how to fill it I don't even know where to start but then the other is well I don't have to compromise anymore all I have like I could just think about what do I want to eat for dinner mm-hmm. now it's just me or just me and the kids. I don't have to worry about taking that other person's things into account. So I love that pink bedroom idea. Of, yeah, like yeah, just something like- small to just keep you going, you know, because in those moments it can just be really hard to focus on anything positive. So it might be that, you know, your partner never wanted a dog and now you get to be excited about, you know, you'll be able to just, you know, something to get you through. Um, I wanted to ask you about generosity in in breakups because I understand that you were quite generous in leaving and intentionally because that meant that you were setting yourself up for a better place. Again, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. Let's, maybe you should tell this story. Um, how can people be generous with their thoughts, their when it comes to division of assets, how can they be generous with the other person in order to get to another place, like to a good place? Well, I yeah, and I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, you know, it, it really wasn't about being generous in terms of, okay, well, I've just lavished the other person. Like that. that's not really what it was about. It was about focusing on our interests instead of what is the percentage that would be fair. Let's move away from that. 
Let's move away from the percentage, not even think about that. And what we wanted for the kids was to each have a roof over our head where we felt stable and secure. And that meant being a bit more creative than being stuck on the percentage division. Yeah. And so we had to, yeah, and so we our settlement was very different to the typical settlement, and I think we're both really proud of that. There's maybe some things that we would have changed, but we're still working through that together. It's still an open dialogue, mm-hmm. um, and we still help each other when we need to, and um, and we know that that's just what's best for our kids and our family because we're still a family moving forward. But generosity yeah. in terms of I think it's really important to change the focus to interests, and to think about, well, what's really important to you, but what's really important to your ex and valuing that. And so some people will come and say to me, well, I want, I just don't want them to be able to keep the house because I know that's what they want. And so I really have to question that thought pattern because that's not going to help anyone. No, exactly. I was talking with somebody recently and the generosity that they were able to to navigate and agree with them was that uh, she was able to stay in the home, separate bedrooms, for two years while she retrained and was able to reestablish herself financially. And I just thought that was a beautiful way of keeping the intention of a an amicable co-parenting separated family, right, because you are still a family, it just looks different, and yeah. being generous in the way in which that gets there. Um, so I really... Yeah. Generosity also means to me is assuming the best of the other person, even when it's hard to do that. Exactly. I think that's, and that's what, you know, and we all struggle with that. But when we get hurt and we feel stuck in the corner, to try and challenge ourselves to generously assume the best of that person and to see from their perspective. And it's often that they're in such a fear state that they're not acting with the integrity that they wish they could. Exactly. And then forgiving easily, I think, is really important ourselves as well as the other person. So being able to, and I don't mean forgive big ugliness, I do mean being able to meet them somewhere and and recognising the human that you have loved at some point and realising that this is a person in pain. So perhaps I can forgive that moment of lack of of integrity or bad decisions or, you know, screaming in the street and move past that in order to um, be with them yeah Danny I love your story what have we missed is there anything that we feel we need to share about what it's been like to be a family lawyer going through divorce I think that you know I've had that twofold experience of being a family lawyer that went through divorce as a child because Mm -hmm. that's actually what motivated me Um, So I know a lot of um, divorce coaches and family lawyers that get into the work once they've been through their separation, but it started really, really young for me at the age of seven. So that's when my parents divorced Um, and it was very volatile and um, it was a really shocking um, end to the marriage. So the sheriff came and repossessed our home. Um, And so what I saw as a seven-year-old in that moment was my mum in the bathroom talking in a panicked, frantic state to her lawyer, I now understand, um, and not getting anything, not getting any support back, just kind of a cold, detached, well, you've got to go along with it, you've got no choice. And and then she came out of 
the bathroom and knelt down and held me by my shoulders and said, you know, mummy needs you to be a big girl. Can you be a big girl for mum? I need your help. At seven years old. Which is so common. So generally the eldest child will get parentified in that situation, especially when it's such a shocking kind of situation. Mm -hmm. And so reflecting on that, it was always for me, well, why couldn't the lawyer help? Why did it then get passed on to me, right? And also where was my lawyer and who was looking out for my best interests? And so that's where it started for me. It was always family law for me. I didn't do a law degree to do any other type of law. Um, and so that's what motivates me every day. And I the idea interesting that you became an advocate from that situation rather than somebody who's quite bitter and upset about it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think, well, that's that that's the boundaries of that. Therefore, I never want to go near it. You've decided that's the boundaries of that. I want to go and push them. <laughs> I want to decide family law can be better. And I learned that from my mum. She didn't, you know, she was homeless with three kids. She didn't, she got back up there and she's made like a beautiful life for herself and has always, you know, um, just kept on going. But by the stories you've just told, they're, they're now connected again, aren't they? Yeah. And so I suppose now my work, <clears throat> excuse me, now my work and with the real purpose of, you know, doing a podcast with you and these things that I'm doing is about that my mum couldn't have possibly afforded to have me as her lawyer on a one-on-one basis. And so then I don't feel like I'm achieving what I set out to achieve, which was to help my notional mother and myself in that moment. And so how can I reach those women that are struggling but can't necessarily afford me as their lawyer and so it's really about contribution and education and that's and that's this next phase of my life and I'm loving it yeah that's beautiful well thank you for so much for sharing so generously your story all of these different elements of your story and I know we haven't touched on everything but everything that you've shared has been a wonderful learning opportunity I think for listeners so thanks Danny for sharing you're welcome is there anything else you'd like to add or shall we wrap up here no I'm just so grateful and I'm just I'm so in admiration of the work that you do and um, I think it's we're really making waves now in this area we're really building community which is I'm really excited about yeah same thank you so much that was very sweet to say I love the work that you're doing anything that we can do as professionals as um girlfriends as support in any way to keep people out of the family court system and making decisions that affect their own families for the betterment i think is you know the good work so it's right very pleased to be doing it danny thank you so much for coming on thanks for listening i hope you took something of value out of this episode I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and you can find me on the web at dodivorceright.com or on Instagram at dodivorceright. I look forward to connecting with you there.